Nationalism is by its very nature an us versus them. And it leads to, it, it. it's hard to separate it from things like xenophobia. It's hard to separate it yeah. from the idea of being afraid of people who are different because nationalism is, is an ideology that's all about protecting your own unique culture, your own unique customs and language. So nationalistic people are afraid of things like immigration. It, it's very hard to be a nationalist and be pro-immigration because mm -hmm. if, if, you, if you have people coming from the outside and, and Wolf makes a strong case against, against much immigration, he would even argue against Christians from other nations immigrating to to the christian nation and in this case if, if we're talking about the united states he would say that the united states should be an anglo-protestant nation hmm. and that we should make it an anglo-protestant nation and if you're not an anglo-protestant then you're not you don't have full citizenship because we don't want your outsider customs and culture and traditions even if you're a christian we don't want your outsider culture influencing our culture. So nationalism is, it, it, it tends to be very afraid, afraid of the outsider, mm -hmm. and even hostile towards people that don't look like me or talk like me or think like me. Something happened in, in the midst of this culture. What you're describing, your experience is all of a sudden now. And it's an intentional Wes McAdams, thank you so much for joining us on Faith in the Folds this afternoon. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, brother. Happy to, happy to. Um, before we get into our topic, which is uh, a pretty timely topic these days, you uh, for those who are kind of out and active in uh, online and in social media conversations about um, about what's going on in the church, this is uh, a topic that is uh, one of the topics du jour. Uh, that's uh, topic of the day for those who don't speak French like myself. <laughs> we, we will uh, we'll get into that later. But uh, Wes, I know you by reputation, and I mentioned uh, before we started that we had a mutual friend at Luke Donkery. Um, I feel like we could probably just list off, you know, twelve people, and we might each know you know seven or eight of those guys. Um, but tell us. How did you, where are you these days? What are you doing these days? How did you get there? How did the Lord kind of bring you to where you are? Help us get to know you, sir. And then we'll uh, jump into our, our big topic at, at hand today. Sounds good. Well, I am the preaching minister for the Church of Christ on McDermott Road in Plano, Texas. I've been here for about six years now. Uh, I've been in ministry for about 21 years now. Started in youth ministry uh, in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Okay. Uh, it, it wasn't exactly how I saw everything play out uh, or the way I designed it, but uh, I'm thankful that the Lord had a had a plan that was better than mine. But uh, I started out with a summer internship there in Hot Springs, uh, just kind of being their fill-in youth minister for the summer. And then the summer ended and they said, hey, actually, we don't have a youth minister, so would you stick around a little oh. while longer? And so that turned into about a year and a half. And uh, I burned out of youth ministry completely because I had no idea what I was doing. And I mm -hmm. said, OK, I'm out. I'm never doing this again. And a few months later, I was back at a different church uh, doing youth ministry there. So it, it, it drugged me back in. And uh, finally, I, I got married and, and I said, OK, this time for real, I'm not going to do youth ministry anymore. And I, I started preaching for about a year, a year and a half. Uh, and then I actually went back and did youth ministry at the original church back at Hot Springs oh, wow. uh, again. So it, it kept it kept dragging me <laughs> back in. But uh, I've been out of youth ministry for several years now and, and been doing preaching ministry in Abilene and here in, in the Dallas area now and uh, really enjoying that. All right. Well, um, are you from Arkansas originally? Uh, no, I'm. We, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid. Arkansas was one of the places I grew up, um, mostly in Northwest Kansas, though. That was where I graduated high school. So. Oh, okay, gotcha. Very cool, very cool. I've got family in Kansas City, and um, yeah. But, but when you mentioned Arkansas, I, yeah, I, I just assumed that you might have had some roots there. Uh, where did you go to school by chance? 
I, I ended up, I did youth ministry so long and that wasn't the plan because I was right out of high school when I started doing that. And so I ended up getting my degree online through Amherst University. Oh, okay. So that was, that again, that wasn't the plan, but uh, I, I took a lot of community college classes here and there while I was in different places, but I finally got my Bible degree after after about a decade of doing youth ministry and trying to get my education on the side, I finally got it that way. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I'm um, I know some guys who uh, work with Amridge right now. I had one on the podcast uh, a while ago, I think. But well, very cool, Wes. Good, good to uh, good to meet you, sir. And um, I, I just I always find it fascinating to hear how people get into ministry. I mentioned before that um, you know, this was not my uh, not my plan. Um, I knew, I just knew that I was going to teach high school history and social studies and um, you know, wanted, simply wanted a way to keep up with uh, studying Greek. I minored in Greek in, uh, in college because I thought it was fun and I didn't realize that that was weird at the time. <laughs> I didn't know that that was not normal for, for people to want to do. And, uh, you know, one of my professors, uh, one of my professors at Harding, who's retired now, is like, oh, you know, Kevin, why don't you really look at Harding grad in Memphis? And then one thing led to another. And, you know, here I am. So, you know, praise God that uh, he is gracious with us when we when we have plans that are not his plans. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wes, Twitter as like any social media site. Right. There's good and bad, uh, good and bad that you can find. I, I like. Twitter because it helps me kind of see what is current in uh, in ministry or biblical studies with some of the folks that I follow. Uh, it is easy being as far removed from the rest of civilization as it feels like we are down here in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, Wes, I, you've been in Texas for a while, so maybe your Texas geography is is better than mine or better than some of my listeners, but. Uh, we are halfway between Houston and Mexico, and hmm. that is <laughs> that's a pretty long way away. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty long way away. Um, it feels like Dallas is ages away from here. It's only about six hours, but I mean, you could travel six hours and still be in the middle of Texas, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> as true. as the Tennessean is, is learning. <laughs> yeah. So I say all of that. Say Twitter helps me kind of stay focused or be aware of what kinds of things are out there. And one thing that I've seen uh, in the uh, in the Twitter sphere from others who are not within our uh, fellowship, not within Churches of Christ, and something that I saw recently you mentioned is uh, this notion of Christian nationalism. I saw you tweeting about it uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And you were pushing back on the idea of Christian nationalism as something that was uh, was uh, either unhealthy or um, or deserving of critique. Um, and so I wanted to ask, what is Christian nationalism? And then from there we can uh, we can kind of poke at it a little bit and, and maybe ask some other questions about you know how how does this pop up. So what what is Christian nationalism to start us off with? Yeah, it's funny. And it's funny you mentioned Twitter and the way you use Twitter and why you why you use Twitter. And, and one of the ways that I've begun to use Twitter or the way I've tended to use it in the past has been to just kind of throw ideas out there to see, does that resonate? Does that need more explanation? If I say this, does that make sense to people? So a lot of times it's because I'm working on a sermon or I'm working on a podcast or on a blog post. And so I'll throw something out there. And if it gets a lot of pushback, okay, I need to, I need to try to uh, shore that up or yeah. polish that up just a little bit. Um, and so it's interesting with, with different phrases that get thrown out, and, and Twitter is a great place to experience this, mm. <laughs> that what one person means by a phrase or by an idea, by a word, is not necessarily what an, another person uh, means by that. And the phrase Christian nationalism is interesting how it's evolved over the last couple of years. About two years ago, especially after January 6th, uh, there was a lot of talk about Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. but it tended to be an outsider type of a term that no one was using as a self-identifier. It was a pejorative term that people would use 
I, I compare it maybe to something like legalism. Very few people would self-identify as a legalist, but outsiders <laughs> yeah. would, would look at an yeah. ideology and say, well, that's legalism at work, and here are the problems with it. It was mm -hmm. a term that was intended to be a critiquing term rather yeah. than a term that someone would use to, to self-identify for the most part within, within the context of a couple of years ago. And then as that phrase continued to be used, the first reaction that I saw from Christians was that doesn't exist. You're you're making things up. And and mm -hmm. they they said, well, this is just progressive people, progressive Christians, or the progressive left. Uh, this is this is liberal people that are using this pejorative term that it doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as Christian nationalism. Stop talking about it. That was the first sort of reaction that I saw. Yeah. And then over time, there were more people that said, no. I think Christian nationalism is a term that identifies me. I am a Christian nationalist. We saw oh, some wow. uh, some politicians that that self-identified as Christian nationalists, uh, mm. which of course raised the ire of many people <laughs> to say, "See, we told you, we told yeah. you." Yeah. And and in here recently, uh, and this is what got me tweeting about it recently, was a book by Stephen Wolf uh, entitled "The Case for Christian Nationalism," and that is and, W O L F E, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and so he wrote this book to explain what he means by Christian nationalism and and why he thinks it's a good thing and something that Christians not only should not uh, should not disdain uh, or critique, but it's something that Christians should embrace. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that most people, even people that are fairly warm to the idea of Christian nationalism as they've heard it, uh, because people say, well, I'm I, I love my nation and I'm a Christian, so Christian nationalism doesn't sound so bad. And <laughs> right. so some people, <laughs> right. you know, they, they understandably say yeah. that, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing. The nation right. is good. Christianity is good. Put them together. Like, it has to be a good thing. Sure. Well, yeah. um, it, but but what what people mean by that is is not necessarily good. And I think that if most most people that I know if they read Stephen Wolf's book, I think they would be appalled by what he is suggesting. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it. He's actually helping this discussion in the in the fact that he's saying out loud, he's claiming and self-identifying what many people, including myself, have been saying for quite a while. Hey, there's a lot of people that believe and are pushing an ideology that's very dangerous and is really antithetical to the gospel, I believe. Um, and, and a lot of people said, no, nobody really believes that. <laughs> well, here's a guy that says, no, no, no I believe that. And... It tends to be a, a, a very well-selling, a, a book that's selling very well and getting uh, good reviews in some circles. Thankfully, yeah. there's also been a lot of good pushback on it as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it, man, it is fascinating how um, how it, it started, like you said, as a pejorative and then is now getting to a point where it's a badge of honor almost that people are saying, mm -hmm. right. you know, well, actually, no, this does describe me. This, this thing that you're afraid of, well, that's me. <laughs> Yes. Yes. That uh, that certainly does raise a lot of a lot of interesting questions. Um, Wes, I, I guess even help help me in these kinds of conversations. Uh, is there general agreement on what the term nationalism means? Because I I can I see how that could be the linchpin. If it's just patriotism, mm -hmm. if it's just warm regard for one's homeland, it doesn't sound that scary. But if it's something right. more more sinister or you know more more complex than that, then it could raise some flags. So help help us yeah. help us work through that. And I and I think that if anybody is listening to this, I would encourage them to to Google you know Google patriotism versus nationalism or Google mm -hmm. nationalism. And and sometimes what people will do, and I think this is unfortunate, that they'll they'll search for. Maybe they'll look in an actual dictionary. I don't know if people actually have physical <laughs> dictionaries anymore, an but they'll, dictionary. they'll look in the dictionary yeah. and they will they'll look at the definition of of something like nationalism. Well, it's going to give several different definitions. Right. And the reason it does that is because the dictionary is just reporting this is the way that this word is used. And so it's giving you the different connotations for that word. Mm. Well, what people tend to do is that they're taking the term that they resonate with and then dismissing the other definitions of this word and saying, well, that doesn't exist. Nobody really believes that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I'm not necessarily critiquing what this person over here believes if they believe something that that isn't antithetical to the gospel. Right. 
but there there is a type of nationalism that is patriotism it is warm regard for your country and yeah. for your homeland but there is another type of nationalism that is that is dangerous and i think that that the way that a lot of sociologists use the term nationalism especially as we've looked through you know nazi germany and and different yeah. nationalistic types of movements it has been this idea and and wolf really promotes this idea it's very similar in ideology to what you would find in nazism and it's the idea that every ethnic group and he uses the term ethnic group mm -hmm. that is every group that has a unique culture and language and customs and traditions that every ethnic group he uses the word nation synonymously so every every nation or ethnic group has the right to self-govern and so if if people belong to a unique and everybody does everybody belongs to a unique ethnic group then they have the right to draw the boundaries of their ethnicity and say we are a separate entity we are a separate group and we have the right to govern ourselves and do what is in our best interest and we have the right to exclude from our group from our nation anyone who isn't who doesn't fit our definition of us so it's yeah. nationalism is by its very nature an us versus them and it leads to it, it it's hard to separate it from things like xenophobia it's hard to separate it yeah. from the idea of being afraid of people who are different because nationalism is is an ideology that's all about protecting your own unique culture your own unique customs and language so nationalistic people are afraid of things like immigration. It, it's very hard to be a nationalist and be pro-immigration because mm -hmm. if, if, you, if you have people coming from the outside and, and Wolf makes a strong case against, against much immigration, he would even argue against Christians from other nations immigrating to, to the Christian nation. And in this case, if, if we're talking about the United States, he would say that the United States should be an Anglo-Protestant nation hmm. and that we should make it an Anglo-Protestant nation. And if you're not an Anglo-Protestant, then you're not you don't have full citizenship because we don't want your outsider customs and culture and traditions. Even if you're a Christian, we don't want your outsider culture influencing our culture. Hmm. So nationalism is. It, it, it tends to be very afraid, afraid of the outsider, mm -hmm. and even hostile towards people that don't look like me or talk like me or think like me. Yeah. Ooh, gee whiz. Um, <clears throat> man, you know, a, a good history lesson would show how terrible those ideas are throughout, <laughs> throughout <Exactly>. history. <laughs> yeah. The thing that... Um, it, it's it's a given. I, I heard a friend uh, in college say this. I can't remember what he said, but it's you know, it's somebody's law, right? You know, we've got all these different laws, you know, in you know physics and the natural sciences. And a friend of mine in college told me about some some quote unquote law that he heard where when you're talking about evil, the probability that somebody will mention Nazis is one. <laughs> like they will always get brought up. Right. Well, um, once again, they're apropos for this discussion. Because the nationalism that was expressed in um, in Germany and and Austria was not limited to borders, right? It was it was a Germano-Austrian kind of uh, kind of nationalism that uh, appears to fall right along the lines of what Wolf is describing. You right? If you've, um, I, I trust that you've accurately described his position, um, not having read it myself, but that that is. That that leads one very quickly to um, to all manner of segregation and things like that. That is, you know, it's hard to square with uh, with things like we see in the Book of Acts, which is uh, you know a, a a multicultural community. And uh, fast forward to the Book of Revelation, where you know people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people are are there worshiping together um nationalism then uh, let me ask uh, it, you know for someone who is afraid that they might be a nationalist um 
if they have a simple warm regard for their homeland. I mean, you can, uh, for those who are not able to watch and just listening, I have on my desk behind me a Tennessee state flag. And then, as you can probably see, the 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 stripes uh, next to that. Well, that's the American flag. Um, I live in Texas. I don't have a Texas flag yet, and nobody's bought me one. So <laughs> they haven't gotten to me just yet. But um, I would not consider myself a nationalist. I think I would. I, I think I would be okay with saying I'm patriotic, as long as I'm understanding patriotism to be, you know, like, you know, like I, I. I, I love where I'm from because it's where I'm from. I, um, I I tell my boys, you know, we we live in the best country in the world, but it is by no means a perfect country. We have our problems, um, and you know, I, I I want the U.S. Olympic team to do well, right? I you know was sad that you know the U.S. Uh, men's team got out of the World Cup as fast as they did, right? You know, like I, you know that that. Uh, that's about the extent of it. Um, would that make me a nationalist or <laughs> or not? No, I don't no, think so. Yeah, I don't, no, no, I don't think so either. Yeah. I think I think that's exactly right. And I think that there are a lot of people that when they hear something like Christian nationalism, and again, th there's nothing necessarily wrong with the idea of belonging to a nation or loving your nation. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with, and it's even good to take your Christianity and say, how does my Christianity impact and affect my, the way I interact with my, with my country, with my nation. Yeah. And I think that you, you pointed out your Tennessee flag and your United States flag. And I think that that illustrates something really good that you are from Tennessee. You have a special regard for Tennessee, a special love for Tennessee, but that doesn't put you at odds with people from Texas. You live in Texas and, and I'm sure that you love Texas now that you live here. And I've, I've lived in six different states. I wouldn't go so. that far west. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I live, I've lived in six different states and I have a different feeling towards all of those. Yeah. But a nationalist, a nationalist believes that their their energy and their effort needs to be for their people, mm -hmm. for the in-group, and not necessarily for the out-group. Now, that's not to say, and I don't want to be unfair to somebody like Wolf um, or to those that, that ascribe to this, this ideology, because they would say, well, we have some obligation to the outsider. We have some obligation to the immigrant. We have some obligation to these other people, but they're not us. And again, any time we play right. that us versus them game, um, it's very dangerous. It's very hard to say, well, I'm a Tennessean or I'm I'm a Texan um, and I'm I I have a I have an obligation to my people, people from my state, mm -hmm. and I don't have the same kind of an obligation to those people. Jesus had a parable that that even non-Christians are familiar with of the Good Samaritan. And, mm -hmm. and the whole parable was was told in response to the question, who's my neighbor? And, yeah. and, and it revolved around this Jewish nationalism, <laughs> this Jewish nationalism that said, my neighbors are people that talk like me, that look like me, that have my background, my customs, my traditions. And so he uses this, this parable, this story about a Samaritan who you would expect to be a nationalist, who's, who would find a beat up Jewish man on the side of the road and said, He's not my people. He's yeah. not my problem. I, I don't have any obligation to take care of him because he's not one of us. And Jesus said, who is it that loved his neighbor? So the question isn't necessarily, who's my neighbor? It's, are you going to be a neighbor to mm -hmm. everyone, uh, regardless of their tribe, regardless of their nation, regardless of their ethnicity? And, and this ideology of nationalism it, it really, it crosses a line into something that is fearful, that, that puts us in a posture of defensiveness mm -hmm. rather than a posture of love. I have no problem saying, hey, I love, I love the United States of America, but I also love people that have immigrated here from other places. And I love people that live in other places. Yeah. And if I go somewhere else, if I was a missionary, and that's, that's kind of how I tend to think about myself as I'm a missionary who happens to live in the United States. Um, and, and if I was a missionary in, in Europe or in Asia or in Africa, I'd love the people there. And I don't know that I would prioritize, oh, I love you, but I'm not from here. So I don't really love you as much as I do my own people. Yeah. Because man, if, if you're my neighbor or if you're my brother or my sister in Christ, 
I love you and I'm supposed to love you like I love myself. And nationalism really is at odds with all of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if someone is covered with the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, then regardless of the other uh, outward appearances, they have become my people. I mean that that is yeah that's that's pretty clear um, throughout throughout the New Testament. Um, why are some 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 folks attracted? to something like Christian nationalism. You mentioned fear earlier. Does it help assage some of that fear? What do you think? Yeah, I think and it's such a good question. And, and I think there's a lot of good people, a lot of good Christians who are drawn to this because we tend to frame things in a false dichotomy, in a false binary, where it's either this or it's that. And Wolf seems to do the same th kind of thing. It's either Christian nationalism or it's secularism. But wait a second, does it... <laughs> Does it have to be one of those two things? <laughs> do, I, do I have to either be in favor of liberal progressive secularism, secularism or in favor of Christian nationalism? Or is, is there another option here? Right, because yeah. I'll take option three. And, <laughs> and I think there's a lot, of, a lot of Christians that are, and I understand, fed up with, with progressivism and especially as it pertains to sexual ethics. And, and there's so much of that that is untenable. And I think mm -hmm. people can see that. They, they can see that you can't sustain this. You can't sustain a culture. You can't sustain a, a country or a nation where we can't even we can't even agree on the definition of words. Where we're we're really you know we last I saw there was something like thirty something genders that that people have identified or want to claim. Yeah. It's very difficult. How do we how do we do this? How do we agree on a shared language or? How to cooperate with one another if we don't even know how to talk to each other about simple things like like biology or gender or sex and there's so many of these kinds of things that that just when we look to the future it's like where's all this headed and and what does this spell for the future of of the place where we live and the place that we love and so a lot of people say well we we have to we have to infuse christian ideals and christian principles into our, our our government or into our culture or our society or else things are going to fall apart and i understand that and i don't necessarily disagree with that but i think the the way the new testament lays that out is that we infuse that by us living it out first by us living as christians living out the sermon on the mount and sharing the good news about jesus not trying to wield power and control and force everybody to live like Christians, even if they're just living like Christians nominally or outwardly. That's what yeah. Wolf proposes. He proposes that Christians violently take over the country for the country's own good, and, and then we would wield the power, and we just make everybody at least act like a Christian. You, we can't control what you think or what you feel or what you believe, but we can make you act like a Christian. And so we're going to make you act like a Christian because that's what's in your own best interest and the best interests of the country. And I understand, again, the attraction to want to make everybody uh, live out Christian principles, but that's not Christianity. Christianity isn't lived out by force. Christianity is adopted by faith, by faith that Jesus really is the Messiah. So these, these ideas, while I, I understand the attraction, they're really antithetical to one another. Yeah. So it seems like the fear that, um, that many I think quite naturally could feel. Um, I'm a I'm a parent, and you you are too. Um, and you know when I when I was growing up, both of my folks were public school teachers, and so my brothers and I attended public schools. I K through twelve uh, public schools. I knew that there were that I had friends who were. Into things that I, as a Christian, shouldn't be in, shouldn't be involved in. Yeah, I knew that. I never once felt, though, that my teachers might actively try to, uh, like, actively and openly and even aggressively try mm -hmm. to undermine my my faith, my religious practice and belief. I had uh, one one teacher in high school who was a physics teacher. And one thing I remember him saying that I, I 
at the time, remember thinking, yeah, this might be a shot to religious belief, but it was veiled enough or innocent enough to where, you know, it, it could it it could necessarily not be that. But he was talking about uh, the nature of theories and, and how theories do have underlying, um, you know, evidence and things like that. Right. It's not just a shot in the dark. Right. It's not the difference between theory and a hypothesis. And he talked about theory of gravity and how we can know X, Y, and Z about gravity and said, so next time somebody tells you that, well, evolution is just a theory, you shoot back at them, so is gravity. And I remember hearing that in the moment and thinking, eh, okay, all right, so here, here's, here's the one obvious poke at young earth creationism, okay? <laughs> and in four years, that's the only thing I remember. Fast forward to today where... I have my six-year-old in first grade at a, at a local public elementary school, and I feel pretty confident that his teachers are, are not going to try to uh, teach him about, um, about sex in first grade. They're not going to teach him about um, LGBTQIA plus issues. They're not going to. Uh, they're not going to try to um, encourage him to explore his gender. They're not, you know, you know, men in drag are not going to show up to his school. And that, like, if all of that sounds absurd, well, even five years ago we might have thought that it was absurd. But it, it there's just such a preponderance of that kind of thing now. And so, with all of that fear, inducing. Uh, news out in the world, which I have constant access to, right? If I'm on Twitter and um, and other sites, I can I can see how one might then be led to think that the best scenario for addressing those kinds of fears is through the force of the state, like that. I, I want to be very careful when I say that that sounds reasonable. I disagree that that's the best way, and I think you're disagreeing with that too, right? But right, right. That, that sounds somewhat reasonable because Christians are by no means the only ones to do that kind of thing. Because if you think about, you know, what then are all the other like the other side, all right? If we're going to do us versus them kind of thinking, which is inherent to Christian nationalism. Or, uh, or even progressivism, um, where you have oppressed versus oppressors, right, and, mm -hmm. and and all that. So, if you look at the other side, and what are the what are the fear-inducing things that the other side might fear? Uh, well, it's uh, it's racism, it's white supremacy, it's patriarchy, it's all these other things. Um, well, the force of the state becomes necessary to safeguard against those kinds of things, and. Um, that at least seems like where we are right now with, mm -hmm. with with these kinds of conversations. Wes, have I accurately described that? Is there anything else you want to throw in there and kind of riff on something that I've mentioned? No, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think that that's, that is human nature. And I think that that's why even, even patriotism, and I want to be really careful about even things like patriotism, because there are all kinds of idolatries that that the Old Testament that Israel struggled with, um, but one of those idolatries I think takes on its its modern form in in that sort of loyalty and allegiance that deifies the nation. We saw that kind of a thing that God admonished Israel for because some of the time that they were uh, they were participating in whoredom. When they were they were unfaithful to God, they were adulterers to God, and their covenant relationship to God was because they were putting their trust and their loyalty in other nations. It wasn't just that they were bowing down to their statues; it was that they put their trust in the power of Assyria, or in the power of Egypt, or in the power of Babylon, and they said these powers will protect us. They will protect our way of life. They'll protect our nationality. So we need to give our trust and our allegiance to them. And God called that idolatry and adultery. He called that Israel participating in whoredom because they were 
trusting these powers and militaries mm -hmm. to protect and provide for them. Uh, I, I always like to put it in a way that we can sort of picture in our, in our head. If my wife said to me, honey, I, I love you and I want you to be my husband, but I, I also need to, you know, really get to know our next door neighbor because I want him to protect me and provide for me and take care of me. That's unfaithful. <laughs> no husband in the world would be okay with that situation. And yeah. God wasn't okay with that situation. How much more so when we say, listen, God, we trust you for our eternal salvation. We trust that you're going to raise us from the dead and that we're going to live forever through the, the sacrifice of Jesus. But we're, we're pretty sure that we won't be able to continue to live as Christians if we don't have this big, powerful army or this big, powerful nation or this big, powerful government on our side. And so we need to do everything we can to have that power to protect us. We have to be very careful because to say there's a thin line between that and idolatry is to overstate, you know, is that I don't want to, you know, uh, right. say that there's a thin line. It, it really is, is very much, you know, idolatry. We it's have very to be very careful line. that that's exactly right. And and so I understand when people say, well, I love my country. I love America. Me too. Absolutely. Uh, for sure. I, I couldn't not. But there's so many good things about the United States. There's so many good reasons. I could choose to live other places. I choose to live here. I love it here. I, I love I love our customs. I love I love our, our traditions and our culture. But at the same time, my trust cannot be in the United States government. It yeah. cannot be in our powerful military. It cannot be in our way of life. It, this is not what safeguards me and my family. What safeguards me and my family, our protector, our provider is Yahweh, is the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's where our trust has to lie. And so even patriotism has a way of becoming idolatrous, much more so when it becomes nationalism, when it's all about, we need the power of the state to protect us and to protect our customs and our culture. And if we don't control the state, then, then we, we might as well be dead. You know, we, we might, we're, we can't, there's so many people that say things and I understand the, the, the desire to say things like this, but it's so wrong when people say, if we don't win this election, then evil wins. We can't yeah. let evil win. Um, or all it takes for evil to, to, to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And I want to say, wrong. The gospel says evil isn't going to triumph. Jesus wins. God wins. And that confidence and that calm and that peace that says, you know what? Elections, they sometimes go a good way and sometimes they don't go a good way. Politicians come and go. Governments rise and fall. Nations rise and fall. But God wins and evil is not going to triumph. Sure, sometimes we may be more comfortable than we are at other times, but we're going to keep following Jesus and do things Jesus' way, and we're not going to put our trust in government. We're not going to put our trust in the state to protect us. Yeah, yeah. I, I That's a message that I'm going to be harping on a lot uh, coming up here soon because I'm teaching on the book of Revelation Sunday mornings beginning mm -hmm. In the new year, and I'm going to be using Michael Gorman's book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, and um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited about that. And I, I've been reading another Michael Gorman book for the Wednesday night study that I've been doing here. The book is called Reading Paul, and he uh, he leans pretty heavily in how in the Gospels anti-imperial tendencies. Um, I say tendencies; it's very strong messages that are anti-imperial, and so I, th that is ultimately you know where the Christian ought to land. Uh, yes, you know be be happy about where you're from, right? Celebrate its good things, right? Celebrate its food, right? You know, so like celebrate those fun customs Amen. <laughs> and uh, and all that. But don't confuse uh, one's security and, uh, and salvation um, mm -hmm. or deliverance and redemption. Don't confuse uh, what the state offers versus what the lamb offers. Um, Wes, let me ask this question, and, and this is that this is where I this is where I'm really particularly interested in learning from you, and and others as I'm as I'm, I'm hashing out these own ideas for myself. Um, <clears throat> let me let me give just a little bit of setup, and then I'll, and then I'll pose the question because I I just want to make sure that I explain myself clearly. Um, so for for Christians who want to participate in kind of the public marketplace of ideas or, or 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 even want to vote 
Um, elections were, you know, just uh, just about a month or so ago uh, at the time of recording. And my wife and I voted, as did many of my friends. Um, I vote the way that I vote because I believe that certain policies and certain politicians who will advocate for certain policies will do will lead to a more just society. There are people I know, either in my congregation or elsewhere, um, who are as dedicated to loving the Lord as I try to be and vote differently because they see that the persons for whom they are voting are advocating for policies that they believe will make for a more just society. They vote those ways and for those persons because their Christian convictions lead them to that, just like I do. My Christian's con Christian convictions lead me to vote the way that I vote. My question is, are, are we not doing the same things and I and those who would vote differently but still vote in accordance with their understanding of the gospel, aren't we doing the same thing? And two, is, is that is that Christian nationalism where I'm, I'm essentially hoping that on the basis of my Christian uh, life, I want the state to act in a certain way. Help me, help me piece some of that together. And I hope you can tell that this is something that like I, I currently wrestle with because I, I don't know that I have it all figured out. And I'm I'm just interested to see see what you have to say uh, about this particular issue. Yeah, it's such a great question, and, and and it's really unique. And I think just acknowledging that it's unique that that first century Christians didn't have this question because they didn't live in a in a democratic republic. They yeah. didn't live in in a place where they could elect representatives to represent them, or they didn't have a say in in what would make for more just laws or more just policies. And so because they didn't have a say, they just had to trust the Lord. And so we we now are given this opportunity to continue to trust the Lord, but also to, to say, would you like to have a vote? Would you like to participate in this process? And I think that it it can be good and, and right for Christians to participate. There's also been times where I've said, I don't have a good option here, and I've refused to participate, and yeah. I think that's okay, too, yeah. and that's that's a right I have as both a Christian and as an American. I don't mm -hmm. have to participate in a particular election, and so I think just recognizing that and recognizing, as you said, that Christians are going to, in good faith, come to different conclusions, because these are complicated issues. What What's the best policy here for a more just society? What What's the best policy here or the person who's going to advocate the most just policy we're gonna we're gonna have some conflict around that sometimes and that's okay that's part of what it looks like to live in a culture like ours i think where it would become christian nationalism christian nationalists would say well if you don't vote like me then you're not really a christian mm -hmm. and my vote is for christians to specifically have what we need and we want with very little or no regard for people who aren't Christians or who aren't Americans. Are we voting in a way? I think the Christian should vote in a way that we are loving our neighbor as ourselves. That includes our unbelieving neighbor. That that includes our immigrant neighbor. That includes the the neighbor who isn't an American citizen who who can't vote for themselves. I live in a community where there's a lot of immigrants from Islamic countries. I live in a in a neighborhood that's that has a Hindu mosque. Do I vote in a way that says I I want to seek the welfare of my Christian neighbors, but I also care about the welfare of my Hindu neighbors. Mm -hmm. I care about the welfare of my Islamic neighbors. I want what is good for all of them. And I think that I think that my Christian understanding, my following Jesus 
helps me have a good understanding about the sorts of things that are good for human beings, that are good for people. And I think that's that's good to allow our Christianity to influence the way we think about our neighbors, the way we love our neighbors. That's not Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism would say that if you are an immigrant from a Hindu country or you're an immigrant from an Islamic country, that, that we shouldn't even allow you to vote because we don't want you influencing our country. Or if you are an atheist, we don't want you to vote because we don't want you to influence our country. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, goes goes far in a, in a different direction. I think for me, one of the big things, and I mentioned this earlier, that I like to think of myself as a missionary in this country. Mm-hmm. And I like to say, how would I how would I conduct myself if I was a Christian missionary? I have two sisters that were Christian missionaries in other countries, uh, one in South Africa, one in Scotland. And if they had been allowed to participate in the political process in those places, how would they do so? And would they do so? Would they feel an obligation to do so? If they said, hey, we know you're not a citizen here, but but we're going to allow you to uh, to participate in this process. I'm afraid my, my AirPods are going to go out on me. Um, but but uh, we're going to allow you to participate in this process. How would they how would they participate? And that's kind of how I try to think of myself, because Peter says we're exiles. We're sojourners here. And that's how we should think about our American citizenship and our participation in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- Wes, that's very helpful. I, I appreciate the the differentiation there. Um, it does seem then it, by you know to kind of help us. You know, head towards wrapping up and uh, and some concluding thoughts here. Nationalism then would have inherent to it um, a kind of uh, a kind of ethnocentrism um, to it that that could very easily be absent in sort of a generic patriotism like we had described earlier. And so, for the Christian who loves where they are from, loves their country, recognizes its faults, still wants what is good in the sense of what is God-honoring and truly good, right? Um, they they needn't necessarily be afraid that um, they're on the slippery slope to Christian nationalism. But of course, you know, we always need to check, check ourselves uh, and uh, have a healthy degree of suspicion about where our hearts are lead us with things. Um, <clears throat> I think it is also tempting for for some, perhaps maybe tempting for more people, not necessarily to fall into the trap of Christian nationalism, because again, if if I'm understanding nationalism in the way that Wolf, Stephen Wolf um, portrays it, then it, there's that element of ethnocentrism there. But mm-hmm. I think, and perhaps you can comment on this to some degree as well, there does seem to be a, a a greater drive towards what I have been calling something like a Christian statism, where mm. disregarding the ethnic component of Christian nationalism, you still have the state being the driving force for implementing those things that I think are the prerogative of the church to be doing D- does that make sense and as i've described it could would you would you poke back on that would you would you affirm what, what do you think yeah no i think that's exactly right and we've seen this it's not that christian nationalism hasn't been tried it's been tried all across europe i mean every single european nation that i'm aware of has had moments of or is still technically a "Quote unquote Christian nation where they have a state church, <laughs> yeah. and I mean we see this we see this in Russia we see the the Russian Orthodox Church you know giving its weight to the war against Ukraine and so we see this all across Europe when when the the pilgrims left left Europe to come to the United States they weren't fleeing progressive secularism or atheism, they were fleeing that brand of Christian nationalism because the state was telling them what is heresy and what's not. And ethnicity aside, Wolf would say that he advocates for a, a, what he calls a Christian prince. And this Christian prince, much like Constantine, uh, would, would gather pastors to himself 
to tell him their opinions on different theological points, and then he would decide what is the Christian doctrine for the nation. That's exactly the kind of problems we get into. If, if we want a nation that is going to enforce by their power Christian thought and principles, my next question would be, well, whose definition of Christian thought and principles? Are yeah. we talking about Catholicism? Are we talking about Protestantism? Are we talking about my views on what the Bible teaches, on what Jesus says, or or what? And so every time we get into an area like this, then not only do Christian states, and that's what we're talking about, people wanting to create a, a Christian government that has mm -hmm. the power of the sword, yeah. that every time that happens, not only do they end up killing non-Christians, they end up killing Christians that they disagree with and say, well, you're not really a Christian, you're a heretic. And yeah. so there's been so many genuine followers of Jesus who have been killed by, quote unquote, Christianized states, Christianized governments, because these governments have assumed the power to decide who is and who isn't a Christian. And those who aren't, we're going to exile or we're going to execute. Yeah. And and that is that is the danger of Christian yeah. nationalism that is the danger of what I I feel is um is uh, Christian statism where it, it is the the efforts of well-meaning Christians I yeah well-meaning Christians who would use the power of the state to uh to take for itself prerogatives that um that Christ is granted to the church um yeah yeah Wes, this has been an enlightening conversation. I really appreciate your your time today. Any final takeaways you want to leave us with? Any final home runs that you've got stored away to uh, to wrap us up this afternoon? Well, on my podcast, we we always say that that our goal is to learn to love like Jesus, and that's mm -hmm. I think that that's that's how we engage with. I think I think it's good for Christians to engage in these conversations. It's good for us to engage in politics if we if we have the opportunity. But we have to do so in a way that loves the Lord with all of our ourself, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that loves our neighbor as ourself. Yeah. Wes, you mentioned your podcast. It's Radically Christian. Is that right? Yeah, that's my website. And the, the podcast is specifically the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, anywhere else where folks might be able to keep up with your work, other things that, uh, that you've done that uh, you wouldn't mind taking a minute to direct people to? Yeah, you can find my my website radicallychristian.com, and everything is is linked to there. My social media, and if you want to push back on uh, my Twitter feed, you know, join join the crowd. So that, that's <laughs> get <fine>. in line. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Wes, thank you, sir. I've really enjoyed our time today. Take care. Likewise. Thank you.